Guys getting used to this? Yeah, guys getting used to this? What would happen if all the power went out, huh? What would happen? Now, what would happen if your cell phones went out? Still praise, still praise God. Amen, amen, amen. As the lights are dark, I just want you to kind of envision something for a second, if you will. And that is, this happened at the men's retreat, and it was awesome. It was awesome. You can go ahead and put the lights back up. I'm just trying to make a demonstrative point here. The it was incredible because, well, you know, we, we knew about it. Everyone got that heads up that, you know, power is going to be off. We, we prepared. We took lamps with us, et cetera. But what happened was it, it, it obviously created a, a change for us that night. Uh, we were going to do a teaching. We were going to go do a study, and we were going to open up our Bibles and write things down and use pens and learn things. And it's like, nope, guess not. I guess we're just going to have to worship we got a guitar, we got a flashlight, we can read music, let's go. And so that's what we did. And it was incredible. It was, it was fantastic. It was, uh, it was his presence. We just pursued him. We, we just chased into him. We, we, it took a while, candidly. I, I think like most worship does on a Sunday or even a pursue event on a Saturday night. It takes a while to kind of let go of the distractions and let go of what you're thinking in your head and all of a sudden realize, you know what, it ain't about that. It's about him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to pour into him. And as we do that in the, in the spiritual realm, because he's a spiritual God, it's a kingdom of, of, of his spirit, he, he poured out and he, he changed and transformed hearts inside the room. There was peace. There was love. There, there was letting go of guilt. There, there was letting go of shame. There, there were relationships between fathers and sons that, were, that, was, that was being bonded in such a, a deep, clean way, without hindrance, without, without any brokenness to it. There was restoration going on. As all of us witnessed that, all of us were touched. And I, and I know that kind of mountaintop experience. It's a common one even when you have the power on. I mean, it's a common one when we get to kind of turn off the distractions and just devote ourselves to God and just kind of connect to him. Uh, we heard it, you know, from, from Nicole, her testimony of what happened when she took some time away on a women's retreat and, and, and got in with God. And, and yesterday uh, at our uh, Pursue Worship on Saturday night, for those that can't make Sunday, <laughs> once a month, we'll get, we'll get Manny here soon on that one. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Becky gave her testimony and, and, and it moved us all as well. It, it, it was great not being distracted by man's power. There was nothing, a little battery power, but there was, there was nothing distracting us from just tapping into God's power. And so I know we've experienced that on mountaintops. I know as a church we've experienced that for 20-some for years, these testimonies that we had today. Honestly, uh, praise God, they're relatively common. 
in the history of hope, if you remember at our barbecue, we heard those testimonies from, from many people just going off and off and off and how I was restored and how, and how I was broken and I was looking for hope and, and I came in and there was God and love and he gave me hope and that restored me, that, that changed me back. And, and so we see that, 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 that transformation power that occurs. It, it is sort of, a, it's a miracle. It's absolutely a miracle because it's nothing that we can manufacture on our own power. It's nothing that we could do on our own. So as we go through this next 20 years, the question that we have for ourselves is, you know, what's next? We expect more of these miracles, but what's the response that's expected out of us? And Jesus had something to say about that. So I want us to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus answers that question of what's next to us. He answers it in, in essence in a rebuke, in a, in a strong teaching, in a, in a little bit of a scolding to, to the people that have been watching him perform miracles. So uh, if you turn to Matthew chapter 11 together in verse 20, we see this story, what's next? And it's a very clear message that we're to hold on to God and follow his direction after we see miracles coming from him. Let's read this together in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew is, is, is the good news of Matthew. It's the gospel of Matthew. It's written to, by the apostle Matthew, the follower of Jesus named Matthew. And so they named this letter that he wrote to the churches that recorded what Jesus did, the gospel of Matthew. So in verse 20, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, you'll be honored in heaven. Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. This is an incredible message from Jesus. It's one of the stronger ones we see from him. It's called an admonishment. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, to be given an admonishment literally means to be given the mind of God. To, give, to be given what God is thinking. And so in this rebuke, we see this, you can see the principle, which is if we ever encounter a miracle, if we encounter God like we just proclaim giving him glory to glory, we're to grab hold of that, and we're to grab hold of God and keep moving in his direction. Amen? Yes, sir. Amen. That's what repentance is. Amen. Grabbing a hold of God and going that direction. And it was interesting and very fascinating is that in this illustration by Jesus, he uses three sets of cities. The, the first two, Chorazim and Bethsaida, they're Jewish cities. They're, they're near the Sea of Galilee. Chorazim is interesting because we know very little about Chorazim. All we really know about Chorazim is it's mentioned here in this, in this little dialogue. 
mentioned here in, in one of the other Gospels as well. Uh, we don't know anything about it other than it somehow deserved to be scolded for not following God after miracles were performed. And then we have Bethsaida, which is on the northeast coast of the Sea of Galilee. We know it's a Jewish city. Andrew, Peter, and Philip came from there. And in Luke chapter 9, you can look up later if you'd like, but in Luke chapter 9, you see that Jesus sent out the 12 near Bethsaida, and they went out and performed many miracles in the name of Jesus before they were saved. I like pointing that out. Jesus wasn't dead on the cross. He hadn't risen yet. They weren't saved. They just used the name of Jesus. And they went out with the power of his name and performed miracles. Now, so then we also see in Bethsaida that Jesus fed 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people, no problem, five baskets of, of, of bread left over. A powerful miracle, powerful miracle amongst the Jewish people. And then we see the two cities of Tyre and Sidon. We see that Tyre and Sidon, they're on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, that means they were Phoenician. That means they were Gentile towns. They weren't Jewish towns. They were Gentile towns. So Jesus is using a pair of Jewish towns and a pair of Gentile towns. Tyre happens to be the town where Jezebel was from. You might have known something about her from the Old Testament. She was what introduced false gods into the kingdoms. And so we see that because it's a Gentile area, we see that in miracles performed in Mark chapter 7, the mother um, uh, who was Gentile asked Jesus in a gathering, would you somehow please deliver an evil spirit from my daughter? And Jesus said to her, well, you know what? We're here to feed God's chosen children first, and then we're going to feed them. And the mother pursued God and said, well, you know, even dogs deserve scraps from their children's plate. And Jesus said, that's the right answer. Your daughter's healed. To the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. And, and we also see in Sidon that Jesus fed 4,000 people there. He had fed 4,000. He had a little more, uh, a little more bread. He had seven loaves of bread that time. And uh, so he had seven baskets left over. Again, abundance. God's power moving. Do you see that? Do you see that God's power moving amongst the Gentiles? And then he makes this extreme comparison of two other cities, Capernaum and Sodom. Here's a big contrast. Sodom, everybody knew about. Sodom was spoken about several times in the Old Testament as being this evil city. Because in Sodom... Lot lived there, Abraham's cousin. They divided the towns up. Sodom got to be the host for Lot. And in Sodom, two angels, two messengers of God, came to warn him that we're going to destroy this town because it's so ungodly, so sexually immoral. We're going to save it. And the people of Sodom, the men of Sodom, were, were, were so upset that these angels, these visitors, took in hospitality from, from Lot, someone who's not even from the town of Sodom, that we're going to show them a lesson. And the lesson we're going to show to them is that we're gonna, we want to call them out because we're going to have sex with them. And that was so defiling to God. He rained down and destroyed that town. Fire and brimstone. Literally, where we get the term, 
and, and punish that town. And that town is going to get better judgment than Capernaum. Now, here's what you need to know about Capernaum. Look at, look at Mark chapter 7. If we can have, I think it's the next slide. I hope. Uh, Mark chapter 2 and Matthew 1. Here's Capernaum. And Jesus was doing the walk on the water thing. He climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. That's Capernaum, his, his own town. In Mark 1, 2, 1, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Capernaum was his hometown. Yeah, he was born in Nazareth. That's where he grew up. But this was the hub of his ministry. Back home, he probably, he probably lived in someone else's house probably lived in a, in a woman's house being supported by women in his ministry. But it was his home. This is where most of the miracles took place. A paralytic man was lowered from a roof in this town. Uh, this is a substantial town because Matthew was called here, a tax collector. This town was a crossroads of trade and had a big enough of a population that it had, it had a tax office in it. It also had a Roman uh, guard who was there. It had, it had a, 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 a house of, of Roman um, army that would live there. And because the Roman centurion was from this town and said to Jesus, would you heal my, would you heal my, my servant? And you speak the word, Jesus, and I'll, you're a man of authority. I get what authority is because I'm in the army. And that man was healed by his faith. We see so many miracles around this town. It's the hub of his of his ministry. Peter's mother-in-law was was healed here. Jairus's daughter, the leader of the synagogue, the local synagogue, his daughter was revived to life in this town. This town saw amazing miracles. If any one of these miracles was seen by the church here in Fairfield, it would rock the boat. It would, it would, in essence, we would call it, it put us on the map, right? We'd go, oh, wow, look at what God has done in Fairfield. It doesn't matter our congregation or any other congregation. We would celebrate what God is doing. Amen? Amen. But Jesus makes this warning to his home, hometown. It's going to be better for the sodomites than for you because you haven't repented. Let's look at that word repent. It's, it's an important word. It's a compound word. It means meta, a company, or amid, among. And then it has the root word new in it, which is engage the mind. Meta nauo, to engage the mind. It means basically to attach your thinking, to attach to your thinking, to change your mind. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Teaching, what was being proclaimed in the mind at these miracles was what they, we would call it the gospel, but they called it the message of the kingdom. I think that's a really powerful distinction. When you look at what the, the apostles were called to, to in, in Luke chapter um Chapter 9, when they were called to go out, they were to tell about the proclaiming of the kingdom to come. Because here's the message of the kingdom. 
Here's what the message of the kingdom is. We have the next slide, please. The kingdom message is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior of that kingdom. You Romans have taken over us. We want a new kingdom, and Jesus is going to be the savior of that. But the kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. The kingdom message is it's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus even said, do you get it? I, I, I changed five baskets, into, and, and we fed 5,000. And we had five baskets left over. I, I took four baskets, and, and we, we fed, or so I had seven baskets, and I fed 4,000, and we had seven baskets left over. I've got this spiritual power amongst my kingdom. Do you get it? I've got a spiritual force that I'm leading. It's a kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of come. It's a kingdom of our souls. It's a kingdom of our heart. It's not about the law. It's not about what's in your head. It's not about the rules that you follow, Pharisees. It's about the heart and the spirit of God and how we love God and how he loves you. It's about his grace and it's about his power. That was the message that was being given to their minds that God wants us to grab a hold of and to repent to and follow him in. Do you see that? It's more, repentance is more than just, I got to stop sinning. It's more than getting, you know, slapped on the wrist by the nun with the ruler and going, you're doing the wrong thing. I got to walk the other way. I got to stop doing that. Well, of course you need to stop doing that. But it's, it's, it's not really a need to stop doing that. It's a get to stop doing that. Because as we follow God and his kingdom of his spirit, as we recognize that we are inheritance of his kingdom, we're his children, we live in his spiritual realm. And we walk and we follow him. And so the things that we do, you know, fill in the blank of what your sin is, or what my sin is, our egos, our pride, our, our stubbornness, uh, our behaviors of how we treat our bodies, whether it's addiction or smoking or eating or whatever that might be. I mean, those sins are, are, are blocking us from living as spiritual beings in the love and the power and the grace of God as his children. And so we get to walk in those things. And, and Jesus's message is really pretty darn clear. You can have a mountaintop upon mountaintop upon mountaintop experience, but it's no dang good unless you're grabbing hold of what I'm telling you and you're living out the kingdom of God in your life. We had an awesome off-the-hook worship experience last night. There were 25 of us, maybe 27 or something like that, maybe a couple more. It was incredible. It's called pursue, and that's what we do. We pursue God. You know, in that experience, um, candidly, uh, Harold alluded to it, you know, it's Saturday. You're a little tired. Oh, you come in. Eh, all right, what are you going to do to me, Harold? <laughs> you know, you lead, buddy. <laughs> Bring it to me, right? And you sit there in that kind of funk, if you will, for a little bit. At least I did. Maybe you don't. And then, you, then in my head, I'm counting noses, going, oh, man, 25, you know, a lot of empty chairs, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, you, the Holy Spirit kind of tells you and goes, it's pursue, <laughs> not performance. 
you. Get over your darn, darn self, and, and why don't you love me a little bit? And so I think it takes a while for that to happen, no matter where we are in, in, in corporate worship. We're just human beings. It's on, the, the gunk of the world's on us. Take a while to let it go. We, we get together, and then there's this mountaintop. And, and, and his spirit pours out, and things happen, and it's great, and it's awesome. And Jesus is telling us it's great to have that miracle. It's great to have that mountaintop, but it is absolutely no ding-gang-gone good unless you hold on to me and follow me. Now, here's the greatest example of people that do that because we want to know how we do that. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2 with me. Acts is some of the apostles on page 655. We see what they did with this word repentance. With this word repentance. It's an awesome word to have our minds changed, to grab hold of what Jesus is teaching us. So in Acts chapter 2, here's what they do. They, they've seen a miracle, tongues of fire. They, they've seen fire dancing on people's mouths like tongues, and they've seen uh, people talk, they've heard the, this, the sound of like a rushing wind, and they've heard people talk in all these different languages that, so that everyone understood the same message. It was opposite the Tower of Babel, and it was exactly the, the unification of God's Spirit. And they'd go, wow, that was awesome. That was incredible. Peter explanation of what God's Spirit and His Holy Spirit pouring out is all about. And then they asked this brilliant question. What's next? What are we supposed to do? It came to him this way. In verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repent. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized. They grabbed hold and added to the church that day 3,000 in all. They took that first step of repentance by being baptized. They received God's Holy Spirit through that event. And then we see them holding on to the repentance. And this is a key for us. You want to know what's next? Here it is, church. This is what's next hope in the next 20 years. We've been doing it for 20, and it's time to keep doing it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Here's the word devoted. I got a picture for you, too. Here, you want, I want you to think of this picture. I don't know if you can see this well or not. Here's a man who's devoted. That picture is of a Buffalo Bills football fan sitting in about six inches of snow, devoted on a Sunday morning to what he loves and is passionate about. I happen to get this picture uh, sent. Uh, someone put up a meme, meme and it, the, the caption was, so you can't go to church on Sunday? 
This man's devoted. We're all devoted to something. The word, the word devoted is, is a compound Greek word, proskaterio, pro meaning forward, and then the root of kratos, which means power or vigor. It, it, to be devoted means to be holding strong, to hang on to it, to persevere. And we see that they're persevered to these four things, to the apostles' teaching. They're, perse- they're, they're devoted to the word of God. It, 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 there's some... There are some shocking statistics about how Christians and their devotion level to the Word of God. Here they are. Look at them here on the next screen, if we will. Oops. Thanks. How often Christians read the Bible? 26% four times or more per week. 19% once or less per week, usually at church. 26% are devoted once or less a month. Maybe that doesn't count as devotion. And 20% four times a year or not at all. Now, let me help you out. If, you, if you're new to reading the Bible, I know that's one of the big stumbling blocks. It's, it, it, like we heard from a missionary friend, it's best if it's done in groups, which is why they were devoted to fellowship, koinonia, why they were devoted to commonness amongst each other. But if you're new to it, we've got this devotion called the Daily Bread. It shows a little verse about the Bible. You can start with that. It explains it. You can meditate on it, and you can pray on that. And that's like a vitamin to kind of get you started, to, to feed your hunger, as, as then you await and, and find a group of people to meet with and, and to be devoted to a fellowship. But there, there's great reason to be devoted to a fellowship. We see in God's Word uh, all these particular benefits. Uh, we get to serve one another. You get to accept one another. You get to forgive one another. You can admonish one another. You can bear one another burdens. You can be devoted to one another. You can honor one another. You can strengthen one another. You can teach one another. You can encourage one another. You can spur on one another to, to good work. You can confess your sins to one another. You can pray for one another. You can restore one another. And you can love one another. Those are all truths and promises that we get from God for being in fellowship with one another. And then they were were devoted to breaking the bread. That's communion. They did communion every time they got together. That's why we do communion every time. It reminds us of the gospel. Our brains are like sieves. If we don't remind ourselves of something, it's just going to pour out and we're going to forget about it. We remind ourselves of this cross and the resurrection power of Jesus and the power of his blood for us every week. And they had meals. They shared It was a commonness with one another. And if you haven't had a meal with us, we've got one obviously in Thanksgiving coming up. But we serve a meal. We break bread with one another every week when we serve our friends who are and our brothers and sisters who are homeless in this house. Please join with us with that. Break bread with one another. Share a meal. Ask each other how your day is. Pray for one another. They devoted each other to prayer. Another great word means to approach, to come near. Juanita Martin and, and um, Becky Cogill, they, they lead our prayer ministry, and, and, and we're available for prayer here. If After the service, after I'm done here in a couple minutes, you, you come forward and be prayed for. Fill out those cards and, and pray. Go on our website in the middle of the week and, and, and let us know if something's urgent to pray for. Uh, we were a part of many churches praying for a young man who had a, a water polo accident and his life was on uh, a very precarious situation and God uh, miraculously moved in his surgery. 
and he, he was healed, and he's in recovery, and so we expect a full recovery from him. But, you know, we're devoted to prayer. Let, let, let's, let's, let's hold on to it. Let's be active in prayer. prayer pray without ceasing. It, to, to be devoted with God in, the, in these behaviors, there's something you can't miss in all of it, though, and that is it's all held together in the context of God and his spirit. These are kingdom behaviors. They take place with the Holy Spirit. And, and God's word says clear to us in, in, in John chapter 6 that there ain't a thing we can do without him. There's not a thing that we can do without, the, without his spirit. So what's next for 20 years? Devotion. Devotion to one another to a body, if you're not in, devoted to a body, or to a fellowship, we would invite you to, to be devoted amongst our family. Uh, we, we would love that. But if it's some reason there's, it's, not a, it's not a connection for you because it's a Holy Spirit thing, then, then talk to us. Let us know. We want to help you find one where you can just fully jump in, full release, you know, releasing all your gifts and talents, not holding back, and, and, and go, this is my family. This is my family. This is my of the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Let's all pray. Father God, thank you that we get this opportunity to be devoted to you through this family. It's not just the context of me and you alone. It's the context of we. It's the context of your spirit. And so, Lord, thank you for guiding us, giving these gifts a rebuke. If we've, take, if we've seen a miracle touch our lives, and we're not grabbing a hold of what you've done, then thanks for the warning so we can grab hold. Thanks for the people around us, Lord, the people to, our, to my left, to my right, the people that are going to help me love and learn how to love. They'll love me and I can love them. May we be that body of people, Lord, that is fully devoted to loving you and watching you work in this world, restoring it as you've restored us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, amen, amen.